Well, good morning. Good to see. Whoa, there you guys are awake. Nice. The nine o'clock, everyone's kind of like, uh, uh, but I didn't get a chance to uh, to meet you. My name's Harold. I'm the campus pastor here at the church. And uh, last week, Jason, our pastoral resident, uh, was able to teach. So I appreciate the fact that he did that. And uh, he, so he preaches last week, and he goes on vacation this afternoon. Like, I don't get to go on vacation after I preach every week. But anyways, uh, he is. So he he and Lauren are taking off on vacation. So pray to have a good time and come back refreshed. Um, you know, it's amazing. So. Uh, Jason was in John 6. We're going through the Gospel of John, um, for those who may uh, be new with us this morning. And, um, the Gospel of John is all about how can you know you have eternal life. That's why John wrote this Gospel. And, um, so last week we were in John 6, and Jason was telling us that at one point Jesus fed 5,000 people. It's actually, as he said, that was just 5,000 men. And so you guys are really, like, close <laughs> I mean, you got a rose and two thorns, you know, but anyways, um, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to get distracted, but you should try staying up here and looking at these, these two, honey. Um, anyways, so he fed uh, 5,000 men, which is probably close to 10,000 with women and, and children in the crowd, and it's amazing to me when you think about it, because it, it, it says that after he fed them, uh, then he started telling about the more important thing. You know, it's not just about having physical food. Uh, there's something more important, and that is eternal life. And he was saying, hey, you need to come to me. You have a relationship with me in order for you to have eternal life. And at that point, it says they turned from him. They turned away. There was more important for them to have some physical food and Jesus to do some healing than it was to know that they could have eternal life from him. And, and so I hope this week, uh, those of you here, who, yeah, I could talk, those who were here last week, um, I hope you were able to go home and just kind of, you know, get with God and, and have a conversation with him. You know, are, are you going to be those who reject uh, Jesus like those did? Are you going to be committed uh, like the disciples? The 12 disciples said that they would stay with Jesus and he had the words of life. And, and, and uh, according to Jesus, if you are a disciple, if you are someone who, disciple just means a follower of Jesus, uh, it means that you spend time in his word this week because that's what disciples do. Followers of Jesus spend time with Jesus in, in the Bible. Hopefully you've been in John, uh, because every week we're covering massive amounts of this book. Um, and today we're going to be in John 7 and 8. I'm not going to read all the verses. I know you guys love my voice, but uh, you'll get kind of tired of me reading that many. Um, so we, don't, we can't cover everything, but we're going to do that, uh, a couple things here out of John chapter 7 and 8. So go ahead and turn to page 1067 if you're using a Bible there in the, in the seats where we provide them. Uh, and just um, for knowledge's sake, time has passed. I know we're only in John 7, and there's 21 chapters in the gospel, but um, there is uh, three years, or yeah, I guess three years have passed. So we are into Jesus' third year of ministry, which means um, into this year, we'll find out between John 7 and John 21 that Jesus is going to be arrested. Uh, he's going to be uh, put on trial. He's going to be put on the cross, and he's going to rise from the dead. Uh, and so we're at the, the very beginning stages of all this, and, and things are going to start building here. But um, again, we're not going to go through all of 7 and 8, not read everything in 7 and 8, but I want to set the table um, with three main points that Jesus is talking about in these, these chapters. 
but I need to do some clarification first. Now, again, if you have been reading through John, you're going to be sitting there going, I have no clue what he's talking about. So I apologize. So if you want, um, if, this, if you're like, this is not going to be real interesting, just go ahead and close your eyes. Um, and if you snore, that's fine. And we'll just wake you up when I get into the, the message, all right? But I got some clarification things that you guys uh, need to know. So coming off the, the five to 10,000 people rejecting Jesus, Jesus is still in Galilee, which is in northern Israel. And he's hanging out. That's where he lived around that area. And so he has brothers. And it tells us he has a conversation with the brothers. Now the brothers, John tells us, don't believe that Jesus is God. They just see him as their oldest brother. And so they're being a little bit of a smart aleck at the beginning of chapter 7. And they're like, hey, you who lost five to 10,000 followers, if you think you're the Messiah, if you think you're the, the God who's come to save mankind, you're going you're to need a, a follower, you know, a following. So why don't you go down to Jerusalem? There's going to be the Festival of Booths, which I'll explain what that is. Why don't you go down to Jerusalem, do all your powerful working things down there, and get some followers? And Jesus says, I'm not going to go down to that festival. Now, <laughs> here's the problem with that. Did Jesus lie? Because if Jesus lied, that's a problem because Jesus is God. If Jesus lied, it means God lies. And if God lies, God lies, we might as well just all leave and go do whatever it is we want to do because then we won't be able to trust God. So we need to answer this question real quickly. And that is, did Jesus lie? The answer is no. Um, what he was saying is when he told his brothers, I'm not going down to the festival, what he's saying, I'm not going to go down and, and do what you're saying I should do. See, God has, a, God has a plan, and Jesus is working out that plan. And so he's not going to go down and do what his brothers tell him to do. He's going to go down and do what God has called him to do. Also, he's not going to go down when they tell him to go down. We find out later that, later that Jesus actually shows up uh, midweek, and he goes up in secret. Some believe he probably went through Samaria. Remember, we talked about Samaria. Nobody wanted to go through Samaria. Everybody hates the Samaritans. But Jesus probably went that way, and people probably didn't know that he was actually traveling. They didn't, you know, people didn't see him traveling. So he came up to Jerusalem um, in quiet, in secret. And then he shows up, which we'll talk about here in a bit, midweek. Uh, the cool thing is, is that, uh, two things, these last two points. One, it shows us that God works according to God's timing and ways. And so like in your and my life, if we're wanting God to do something and we're kind of frustrated because he's not doing things our way, he's not doing things in our timing, it's, it's a good reminder to know that God has never done that. He's never gone by what man says. He's never done things that, God, that man tells him to do. And Jesus didn't do what his brothers told him to do. He's doing what God's telling him to do. The second thing is, this should be an encouragement. Sounds maybe kind of weird. But for you who have who placed your faith in Christ and you've had family members reject you for it, and I know there's people in our church, uh, several families in our church who have been rejected by their family because they decided to follow Jesus Christ, Jesus' own family members didn't believe who he was. And they were rejecting him at that point. Now, we know that afterwards, at least James came to know Christ and placed his faith in his brother as, as God. He became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. He wrote the book of James. Uh, but at this point, they're not believing that's who he is. Uh, the, second thing, the second thing that comes out of this end of chapter 7 into chapter 8, there's the story of the lady who was caught in adultery. And if you notice in your Bible, unless you have a King James Version, uh, all other versions have these verses bracketed. And the reason why they've bracketed that is because they've been able to research the oldest manuscripts, 
the oldest writings that was close to the original manuscripts, and found that those, those manuscripts don't include the story. And so here's how this played out. The, the King James Version, which was the first English version, was uh, translated from the Latin version. This is, some of you guys are doing, okay, Harold, this is crazy. Just hang in there. was um, translated from the Latin version of the Bible, which is called a Textus Receptus. Thank you very much. But then that translation was translated from the, the latest manuscripts of the original language that the Bible was written in, which is Greek. The New Testament, anyways, is the ancient Greek. So what happened is, um, somehow or another, when they translated into the Textus Receptus, they, that story got put in. And so what scholars are thinking is, it's probably a story that it probably happened. Um, it, was, uh, it was well known through the churches in the first century. And so when they got to this and they were translating it over, the, whoever was editing it and making the translation threw that in there. Now, this shouldn't freak anybody out. Some people will be, oh, the Bible is not true then, you know, but people are adding to the Bible. You know, you can get all freaked out if you want. It's not really a big deal because, number one, the story makes sense because it actually shows um, the things that we already know about who Jesus is. Whether the story happened or not, it doesn't take away from who Jesus is because it actually supports who Jesus is. Jesus would have done something like this. Um, And then the second thing is, it's good for us who are realizing that there's people who are doing, you know, studies of the Bible and going back in time and trying to figure out all these manuscripts, that they're able to say, hey, listen, you know, we've studied this out, and, and so it was in there at one point, and it's not earlier, but we're going to leave it in there, we're going to bracket it so everybody knows that it is, and then you can kind of make a decision as to whether you think it should be in there or not. And it's not a huge issue, and again, it's something that shows who Jesus is, his attributes, so it doesn't take away from him. Anyways... All right, if you've been asleep, wake up, and uh, we're going to move on. All right, so the next uh, place setting that I'm going to put here is that there's growing tension. Now, I, I can't get into all of this. I would love to. You need to read John 7 and 8 and really read it um, in detail because there's some interesting things going on. First of all, seven times in those two chapters, the religious leaders or the people uh, try to seize, try to grab hold of Jesus because the religious leaders wanted to kill him. Right? Seven times we're told this. I mean, there is, there is tension happening between these religious leaders and Jesus. And, and, and yeah, you're going to have to read it. Um, secondly, the people and religious leaders accuse Jesus of being possessed by a demon. Can you imagine that? I mean, if, I, if someone were to say, Harold, yeah, you're possessed with a demon, I'd be like, yeah, hey, I don't really appreciate it. But... Jesus is God. And they're saying, hey, you, you saw you're possessed by a demon. You know, put your lightning rod on. I mean, yikes. Then Jesus says to the religious leaders in chapter 8, your lie is just like your father, Satan. Again, we got to understand, these religious leaders, these are guys who are leading the religion that Jesus, who is God, started back in the Old Testament. Now, they've messed up the religion. They've taken, they've changed it and twisted it and added to it and all that kind of stuff. And so that's why he says you're liars. Because you're not teaching what I gave back in the Old Testament. They're liars. And he says, you're just like your father, Satan. And then they say to him, what they say back to him implies that, well, at least we're not children of immorality like you. 
And so they're making, they're like, you know, they're trashing Mary and saying, well, she was immoral, but she had a baby without being married. And we know that God worked that out, right? That was a uh, God-ordained miracle for Mary to be pregnant uh, with Jesus. And so, anyways, it's, it's some good stuff. I mean, this is the kind of stuff where as you're reading, you're going to grab popcorn. You're going to want to start eating it, right? Um, so, and then the last setting is this. Again, chapter 7 and 8, there's this thing called the Festival of the Booths. Now, we, get, we, get, we have Christmas and Easter, right? So we have our religious holidays that we like to celebrate and that kind of thing. Um, so they had four religious holidays a year. We only had get two. Well, whatever. So they have four. This is what's called the, the um, Festival of Booths. What's happening here is these religious holidays that Jesus, as God, put in place back in the Old Testament they were supposed to be used in order to teach some um, spiritual truths, some, some truths about who God is and our relationship with God, who we are, and all that kind of stuff. And so what Jesus is doing now is when, he, when they have these festivals, he goes down to Jerusalem, and he's trying to teach them the spiritual truths that are supposed to be inside of these festivals. And so, um, so we have this festival. So we have, it, this festival is uh, in the fall, uh, somewhere around September, October, our time. They had a different calendar back then, but it's about that time of year. It's a reminder of God's provision in the wilderness. So when Israel was released, when God saved Israel from slavery in Egypt, they were in the wilderness for over 40 years. They were walking around in the desert and that kind of thing. And, and God miraculously supplied for them food and, and water. And, and they said their sandals never um, wore out or anything like that. And so this is a reminder of God's provision in the wilderness. And then also once they got into the land of Israel. Uh, this is a week-long camp, camp out. So in the wilderness, they used to live in tents and shacks and that kind of stuff that were portable. And so what they would do is once a year, they'd come to uh, Jerusalem for a week, and they would all sleep in tents inside Jerusalem, around Jerusalem, that kind of thing. And it's kind of like a big national... And there's you know millions of people doing this, okay? It's not like two or three people, um, which is pretty cool. There's two main events that happened during the week. One was this golden pitcher that every day, they, uh, this golden pitcher, they took down to the Pool of Siloam, and they grabbed some water, and then they would walk it all the way up to the temple, to the altar, and they would pour it on the altar. It would be a daily thing. And again, it's a daily reminder of God providing Israel the water they needed um, in the wilderness. And then they would light lamps. Every night they had light, uh, lamps lit, not the kind we had. They weren't turning light switches on there. You know, it was fire. And then they had four big ones in the temple court. And on the last night they would all go, join into the temple court, uh, and they would celebrate the fact that God led Israel in the wilderness with this pillar of fire at night. So God protected Israel and led them, and they could travel at night, um, and they could see where they were going in the middle of the night. So these big, two big events are two big spiritual truths that Jesus is trying to get to, for them to understand, and of course for us to understand as well. One is living water. So the golden pitcher, living water. And the lance, he's the light of the world. So, um, let's see, where am I at? Okay, so, the golden, um, we've talked about these two things from before. He's talked about him being living water before. He's talked about him being uh, the light of the world before. And so I'm not going to go through a whole lot of details here. But understand this. So the golden pitcher, right? So daily, they do this, walk it over, and they report. Do you know the importance of water? Have you done any studies on the importance of water? I did uh, this week, which is pretty interesting. So they say that 
uh, you can go without water about three or four days, and then your body will start shutting down, and you'll die. And again, it depends how much water you already have. Like this body, obviously, I have a lot of water in it. So it may take me a little bit longer than some of you. So, uh, but you can't go long without water, or you'll die. Israel, when they were released from Egypt, when God rescued them, uh, estimates are there's between two to four million people who were walking around that wilderness for over 40 years. The Mayo Clinic says that an individual needs to drink just less than a gallon of water a day, of water. So if you're drinking coffee, you've got to drink more than that. If you're drinking, you know, pop, well, that's not even considered water. You know, so it's, so think about it. Every day, God had to provide for Israel two to four million gallons of water every day. Because it's not even including the cattle. So that, that in itself is a miracle, that they would be able to get that kind of water. And so that's what they're, that's what they're celebrating here um, as they talk about God's daily provision of water. So they're over, they got the golden pitcher. They dip it into the pool of Siloam. Someone's walking with it. Crowds are all around him. He's walking along, walking along. Goes up into the temple, walks through the temple court, goes into the altar, and he pours it on the altar. As he's doing that, they are actually talk, They're actually reciting a passage of Scripture from 700 years before them, Isaiah. And it says this, Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you are angry with me, because of the rebellion against God and their sin, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Oh, there it goes. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust or have faith and belief. And not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. So in other words, they're saying this as they're walking up. They're saying, it's not religious rituals, it's not good deeds that save me, God saves me. Okay, So that's what they're saying here as they go along. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. That's what the picture is supposed to show is happening. And so... They're yelling this and they're reciting this as they walk along. Now Isaiah in the Old Testament, 700 years before Jesus, his prophecies primarily were about the Messiah coming, which we believe was Jesus. And so everything he was talking about, Jesus was trying to say, hey, he's talking about me here. You guys, especially religious leaders, you should know this. You're the ones who studied the Old Testament. And so he's bringing salvation. He's the one who's bringing salvation to Israel and to all mankind. But like us and like them back then, we always look at the physical stuff. We're always looking at the physical religious stuff and thinking somehow or another the physical religious rituals and traditions, that somehow makes us right with God, which is not at all what the Bible teaches. So as the crowd is making their way and as they're reciting this together, I'm again, you know, thousands of people saying this, John tells us this. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. So Jesus is yelling this at the top of his lungs. Because there's a bunch of people, thousands, who are saying this other thing, and he's trying to get their attention and saying, hey, this, what you're saying, is who I am. So he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He's referring now to Isaiah 44 and 55 and 58. 
Then John, as he's writing it, as he's looking back on what happened, and he's writing it, and he says, but this he spoke of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. We know it happened in Acts 2. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. In other words, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, and hadn't rose from the dead yet, and he hadn't gone back to heaven. And so, what Jesus is saying here is that spiritual life, the spiritual life that they were talking about, the forgiveness from God that they were talking about, the comfort that they were talking about, Jesus saying, I'm that person, I am that water, if you want to put it that way. I'm the one who's going to give that to you. Every day they were doing this during the festival, and Jesus, for the last half of it, was watching it every day, and finally the last day he couldn't take it any longer. And he yells out, no, I'm the guy, I'm the one. And we've talked about this in John 4, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time with it, but the point is that Jesus is the source of spiritual life. From that moment of placing your faith in Christ, but also daily. Okay? It's a, it's a, I'm not saying you need to be saved daily, but once you're in that relationship, you still need to be, get, be given that spiritual water from Christ daily. When I was uh, living in Nebraska, my father-in-law, father-in-law and I took a, a trip from Maxwell, Nebraska, where we lived, to, to Sydney, Nebraska, to Cabela's. Uh, Cabela's back then was just two stores, and now it's nationwide. But we took a drive. Now, this drive was a couple, three hours long, and uh, it was summertime, and it was like 90 degrees, and there's, it's really hot on the western side of Nebraska. It's kind of like a desert. We had the windows down because there was no AC in the truck, and driving along, and the wind was blowing, and my eyebrows were blowing in the wind. It was just a beautiful experience. And we get to Cabela's, we went shopping, bought some things, went over to Renza, which is a restaurant, which is great food, and we had some food, and I got some iced tea. Now, if you know anything about iced tea, it's got caffeine in it. Caffeine is a diuretic. In other words, it makes you, you know, lose water. Uh, you can figure out how that water may come out of you. But anyways, so I had a big iced tea, and I'm drinking that on the way home. By the time I got home, I was so dehydrated, I couldn't even function. I laid there, Kim came over, and she was, you know, taking good care of me and trying to get me to drink water, and I had a fever, I couldn't think right. It, it was just a terrible experience. When I was living in Fremont back in the early 2000s, I, I, uh, I rode my bike to church, and uh, they had a, shower, had a shower there, so I took my shower so it wouldn't stink, and then I rode my bike home. This was the day, like 95 degrees, 100 degrees, it was a hot day, and it's humid out here, right? So I get home, I cut the lawn, and then after cutting the lawn, I go out to the gym out my, in my uh, garage, and I work out for a couple hours. So I come inside, and I'm just really tired. I took a shower, sat there. And next thing you know it, I'm having, like, dreams, but I can't pull them back. You ever, you ever, it was weird. It was scary. So I was trying to tell Kim about it, and then I was saying, Kim, I, I, I don't even know what I was just talking about. So she takes me to the hospital, and uh, they said they did a CAT scan and did a brain scan. They said, nothing's up there. And so I was like, okay, great. But no, it literally said, there's nothing up there. And so we figured I must have been dehydrated. The point is this. Physically, we need water. And if we don't get water, we're going to be disoriented. We're going to, we're going to feel sick. We're not, we're, we're not going to be able to function like we should. People who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they are spiritually dehydrated. All right? They, 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 uh, they don't even realize it, maybe. But they, can't, they don't think right. And they're agitated. And they're frustrated. And, and things just don't go right. It's, it, it's, a, it's a frustration. Just like somebody who's dehydrated. And so they need to come to Jesus. And maybe there's some of you out here this morning that you're, you're in that condition. 
Jesus is saying, come to me, drink. Let me give you the spiritual water that you need so you can become spiritually hydrated. But sadly, there's a Christians who have done that who are still dehydrated in this sense. They have the spiritual life that God's given them, but then they go off and do whatever they think they should do. We can't go three days without water. But there are a bunch of Christians who don't spend time with Jesus and bring in that spiritual water on a regular basis, a daily basis, so they can have, so they don't, aren't frustrated, so they're not struggling, so they're not disoriented. And so Christians, how's your spiritual life? How, how's your spiritual hydration? Are you frustrated? Are you irritated? Are you having difficulty thinking through and processing through stuff? There's a good chance is that because you're not spending the time with Jesus, you need to in his word to, to receive that spiritual water. Well, John 8, Jesus then uses the final event of the, the week, and that is having these lamps lit. Um, and, and so they're going to light these lamps. And again, the whole, all of Jerusalem is lit up. The, the, the um, temple is all lit up. And they would stay up all night, and they would celebrate the fact that God led Israel through the wilderness in a, a pillar of fire. Now, chapter 8, verse 12, which we're, we're kind of starting in, that actually follows after 738. Um, and here's what Jesus said to that. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light, or the spiritual understanding. We've talked about this, John chapter 3 and John chapter 1. I am the light, or the spiritual understanding of the world. He who follows me will not walk in spiritual darkness, is what he's talking about there, but will have the light of life. In other words, they'll have the understanding that brings the spiritual life that Jesus is offering. And so Jesus, again, um, talked about this in John 3, so we're not going to take a whole lot of time with this. But Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. Like, everything is lit up here, and like God lit up Israel as they're walking around in the wilderness so they could see where they're going. Jesus is saying, I'm the guy, I'm the one who's going to give you spiritual understanding to help you know where to walk and how to walk and how to do life. Let me ask you this. How do you think, just think about this, how do you think you get right with God? Just think about it. How do you get right with God? That's the most important question. Because at some point you're going to die. We all are. And you're going to spend eternity somewhere. The Bible says either heaven or hell. And, if, and you have to be right with God to get to heaven. How do you do that? Don't answer. Just think. How do you do it? If you're here this morning and you think that it's something other than that the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and made sure that he took God's judgment on himself so you could have forgiveness of sin by God, you have God's Holy Spirit placed into your life that gives you, he gives you spiritual life and adopted into his family. If you think there's something other than that that saves you, you need to understand what Jesus is saying here, that you are in spiritual darkness. I get it, you may have arguments, you may have thoughts about it, you may have things that you think that are right or wrong, but I'm telling you from this passage, and you can read it for yourself, Jesus is saying, no, I'm the one who gives spiritual understanding, I'm the one who gives spiritual life. And if you don't believe that, He's saying you're in spiritual darkness. But if you're here this morning, you're saying, no, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I, I believe that he took God's judgment for me. And, and I believe that God's forgiven me because I asked him to, and I'm believing this, and I have God's Holy Spirit in me, and I'm part of his family. Then you have spiritual life, and therefore you have spiritual 
understanding. But here's the problem. For a lot of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we still walk around as if we're in spiritual darkness. Why? Because we're not spending the time with Jesus that we need to. We're not taking time in His Word to read it, to study it, to know it, and then to live it. We have a lot of thoughts about how we should live. So I told the guys on Thursday night, when we think the way we think, we are sinning. Because our sin is filled, or our body is filled, our minds are filled with sin. We're permeated. We'll talk about it here in a second. And so, Christians, those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we need to be with Him daily to get the understanding of where He wants us to go, that we would follow Him in what He tells us to do. So that's what Jesus is going to be talking to these religious leaders uh, around him. John tells us that there are some religious leaders that after hearing Jesus say, say, uh, say what he's going to say, that they started kind of believing that he could be the Messiah. And we know that Jesus knows the hearts of every person, so he knows whether they're really believing or not, because again, not all belief is saving belief. And so he's going to explain to them, if you're a true believer, if you've truly placed your faith in me, this is what your life is going to look like. And so, if you're here this morning you're, and you're a true believer in Christ, you claim to, this, what he's about to say, will be reflected in our lives. All right? And these things are not reflected in our lives, then there's a question there as to whether we truly are true believers or not, or understand what it means to be a true believer. And it has everything to do with following Jesus. Okay? And what he means by that, or living life the way he does. Alright, so see what Jesus said here. So, Jesus was saying to those Jews, again, these are the religious leaders, I noticed like in the New Living Translation, it says the people. He's not talking to the people. I mean, they might be hearing him, but he's, he's focused in on the Jews. And when John says the Jews, he's talking about the religious leaders. And so he's talking to those guys, he says, uh, who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, or do what I say, then you are truly disciples of mine, followers of mine. And you will know the truth about what? We'll talk about it. And the truth will make you free. From what? We'll talk about it. All right? Um, we're going to get to those. But we want to talk, first of all, about this fact that true believers obey Jesus. True believers live life as he commands. The word, when he says continue in his word, that word in the Greek actually means to dwell, to live. Uh, to take up residence in Jesus' Word. And when we talk about His Word, today we talk about the Bible. So the question is, are we living in it? Are we in it at all? Again, it would make sense that if we're supposed to be continuing in His Word, that we would be living in, we would be dwelling in His Word. We would be spending time in His Word. I was going to do this, but I don't have, I don't have a whole lot of time. I was going to ask one of you guys, actually, who's, who's, uh, who can walk really well? All right, come here, John. John, I want, you can come up here. This is John. Give John a... Woo, John! All right. All right, here's what I want you to do, okay? I, I want you to follow me. I'm going to walk around a little bit. I want you to follow me and keep your eye on me, okay? And then do whatever I'm doing as I'm walking. Okay, so you want to get behind me? All right. So you got to do everything I'm doing, okay? Nice. That hand, that hand, back, back that way. There you go. Yeah. Okay. You ready? We're, we're walking. So, so John is following me, right? You with me? Okay. So John's following me. 
and he's going wherever I'm going. And, and if I walk through people like this, John's going to walk through people just like me, and then he's going to keep following me, and he's going to do everything I'm doing. Notice he's not talking. That's probably good. Anyways, because <laughs> I get paid by the word, so if you start talking, you know. All right, let's give him a hand. Thanks, John. There you go. Incredibly simple illustration of what it means to follow Jesus. Right? John did whatever I did. He walked wherever I walked. And he didn't talk, which was good. Um, again, only because I get paid by the word. You, you know, you're fine. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You go where he says to go. You do what he says to do. But you don't know that unless you're in his word, understanding what it is that he wants us to do. So when we live in his word and then live out his word, we'll know the truth. The truth about what? Truth about who Jesus, who, who Jesus is, who God is, who we are, what sin's all about, how does we have our sins forgiven, uh, how to have eternal life, how to be free from all the things that he's going to mention here, these two, three things that we're going to talk about here, the, the sin's power over us, religion's fear in us, and sin's consequences. And so we're going to learn about those. Let's look at it real quick. So here's the freedom from sin's power over us. He said, they, the believing uh, religious leaders, answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you uh, say you will become free? Now, they must be talking about religiously, because they have been under control by numerous nations, and they currently are, at this time, by the Romans. And so they must be talking about religiously. All right. So Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, again, hey, listen up, this is important. I'm talking spiritual, spiritually here. Everyone who commits sin, and that's a present tense participle, so again, He's like, oh, wow, English. But it means anyone who commits sin, he's not talking about a one-time sin. He's talking about a life that is permeated by sin, which is where everyone is at prior to coming to faith in Christ. Your life, my life, permeated by sin. All right? There is a slave of sin. The slave, so I was going to give us an illustration. The slave or the sinner does not remain in the house forever. Now, I need to explain this real quick. This is kind of a theological thing. When it talks about a house in this situation, it's talking about the control that God has over something. And in this case, it's the control he has over this earth. All right? And so what he's saying is, the possibility for freedom from our sin only happens as long as we are alive on this earth. All right? Because once we die physically, if we die without Christ, we spend eternity in hell. So the son, he says, the, the sinner who's forgiven by God, does remain forever. Why? Because this, the, the person who is a sinner who asks God for forgiveness and that person uh, accepts Christ and, and God's Holy Spirit in him, he gets adopted into the family, God's family, he becomes or she becomes a, a child of God. And so then when they die physically, they spend eternity with God because they're part of his family. So how does one get freed from slavery to sin? Jesus says this, so if the Son or Jesus makes you free, you will be free Indeed. So this is a, a spiritual work that God does in us. Now, um, I, I got so much information here, I keep getting lost in my notes. Um, All right, so freedom, freedom from sin only happens through the work of Jesus. All right, so it's not through religious stuff. It's not through the religious rituals and traditions or just doing good stuff, being a good person. 
It comes through, it happens through Jesus, a work that he does. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read three sets of verses here. They're all from the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul was inspired by God, so this is actually Jesus' word as well. And we're going to look at, real quickly, what happens, how it is that we can have freedom from our sin. The first one comes out of Romans 6. It says this, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, talking about Jesus, so when, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die on the cross for his sin, because he was perfect. He died on the cross for our sin. And so what we're finding out here is when we place our faith in Christ, and we ask God for forgiveness, Jesus becomes our representative. So it's like he, he takes our, and again, this is a spiritual work, he takes our sin and he puts it on Jesus. Jesus, the, the perfect man, right? Certainly, we shall also be like in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, we'll live like Jesus does after we do that. We'll be obedient to God. Self, The sin control self was crucified or killed with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. And so the first freedom that we have here is we're freed from sin's power, this power that it has over us to, to live life not the way God wants us to, but the way we seem to do, which keeps on messing up our lives. At the moment of salvation, at the moment we say, God, please forgive me my sin, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. At that moment, God takes our sin and he places it on Jesus Christ. Now, that happened 2,000 years ago, so this isn't a physical thing. This is a spiritual transaction that takes place. And so then once we're free from our sin, now we continue in Jesus' word. We continue, in other words, to drink the living water. We continue to walk in the spiritual understanding. We, we obey God, because now we're in relationship with Him. So, first, for that to happen then, once we've placed our faith in Christ, for us to do life the way God wants us to do it, we have to have our minds renewed. We have to, what, how we think is how we'll live. What we think about is what we'll do. It's just truth, okay? And so here's what Paul goes on to say. He says, and do not be conformed to this world. Don't think and act the way the world does, but be transformed by the renewing or remodeling of your mind. This is a passive tense. This is something that now God, the Holy Spirit, who's in your life, he does this work. As we spend time in the Bible, and as we read the Bible, he begins to change the way we think, and the way how we think is how we respond. So if we change the way we think, this is the way we'll have our lives changed. This is huge, because in our world, even Christians are dealing with depression and anxiety and fear. And, and life, their lives are just keep making one bad choice after another, after another, after another. Why? Because they're not spending time with Christ in His Word to have their minds renewed, change the way they think. Because when we change the way we think, then our lives will be changed. But the cool thing is here, these are passive. So it's not me changing the way I think. It's me spending time with Christ, continuing in his word. Then he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of his word, changes the way I think. He does it. And once he's changed the way I think, now he's going to change the way I live. And this is really cool. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, let me finish up. My bad. So, yeah, go, so go to the next one. So here's, here's also cool. So you may prove... So why are you doing this? Why are you letting God's Spirit change the way you think so you change the way you live? So you may prove or know what the will of God is. How many of you love to know what the will of God is for your life? Right? I mean, all of us, right? 
Well, how do we do that? We do that by having, allowing him, through his word and his Holy Spirit, change the way we think. And then when we change the way we think, we'll change the way we live. It's transformed. And then his will is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. God's will is always good and acceptable and perfect for us. We should never fear his will. Whatever it is, we shouldn't fear it because it's good and acceptable and it's perfect for us. All right. So, uh, yeah, next. So, how do we do life? How does he transform us? Paul tells us this in Romans 8. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does, so God the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, God the Holy Spirit now resides in us. We are not God, all right? But God is in us. He's in our life, all right? He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life, give power to your mortal or your physical bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. In other words, he'll give you the power that you need. He'll give you the strength that you need if you'll just do this to do it his way. He'll give you the power to follow through in what you need to do to change the way you're living life. But it starts with him. It starts with a relationship with him. It starts with you then spending time with him and his word for him giving you the water, hydrating you, giving you the spiritual understanding as you continue with Christ, which is continuing in his word. All right, I got to move on. The next one is this freedom from religion's fear. And uh, so this is how this kind of plays out. 2,000 years before Jesus, there was a guy named Abraham. (laughs) Abraham was not a follower of God. God showed up in his life and he initiates a relationship with him. He says this, Abraham, I, I wanna, I'm going to make from you a, out of you a great nation, and, and through you I'm going to bless the world. We know now that that was Jesus Christ. So uh, this is what I'm going to do for you. Do you believe me? And Abraham said this. Then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So Abraham's like, yeah, I believe what you say. Notice, no religion here, no religious rituals no religious traditions, no good works. He just said, I believe what you said you're going to do. And then God said, because of that, I, I, you are right with me. That's what it means to be righteous. So he made him righteous. He made him righteous. He made Abraham right with God because Abraham believed in God and what he said. That's how one becomes right with God. Believing what God says. And in this case, our case, talking about Jesus. Now, with that background, let me... Let me throw out here what Jesus said to these guys. So Jesus says this to these religious leaders. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, speaking of physical descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. In other words, in other words they're not following God because, and they're showing it because they want to kill him. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Of course, he's God, so he's with the father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Now, later on, we're not going to read it, but this is when he calls their father is Satan. So he's basically calling them children of Satan. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. What was the deed that Abraham did? John. He believed. Yeah. Nice. There you go. The deed. He believed. So, Jesus sets us free from religion's fear. 
the religious leaders said, hey, you need to do a set of, these, a set of rules. You need this, 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 this. Which, by the way, was twisting what God said in the Old Testament. So they were doing all, saying you had to do this. And so all the people lived in fear. Because what if you didn't do enough? Because we all know that we're sinners. We all know that we're messed up. We all know that there's nothing good in us. And, you know, that's why we try so hard to do so many good things. Because we know how bad we really are. Let me just give you some freedom from what Jesus said. You don't have to worry about that. You just need to believe that Jesus is the one who saved you. That Jesus is the one who took the judgment for you. And you just need to have a relationship with him. And as you get to know him, you'll do the life that he wants you to do. But he'll be the one who changes you. He'll be the one who helps you in, to do the life that he wants you to do. Isn't it better to know that this infinitely powerful, all-knowing God is the one who secures our relationship or our eternity? Isn't that better that he does it than us having to work out some sort of religion and make sure our balances, you know, our scales balance? All right, last one is this. I'm going to jump right into it. So then he finishes up. Again, a lot of stuff has happened between here we're not going to cover. I'm way long as it is. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, again, hey, listen up. This is important. If anyone keeps or continues in, as verse 31 says, my word, he will never see death. And what he's talking about there, he's talking about eternity in hell. We're going to die physically. But he's talking about spiritual death. He's saying, if you believe in me, if you continue in my word, if you believe what I'm saying, you will never experience eternity in hell. Why? Because he, we'll see in several chapters from now, he took God's judgment on the cross. That's why he died. There's no reason for him to come if we could somehow work out our own salvation. But God the Son came. He dies on the cross. And he takes our eternal death God's judgment on himself so that we wouldn't have to. It's a spiritual transaction that plays out in our lives once we've placed our faith in Christ. So, some takeaways here that we can pull from. Uh, first one is this. If you're here this morning, do you know you have eternal life? Again, that's what the Gospel of John is all about. It's why he wrote it. He wants people to know that they have eternal life. Do you know that? Are you unsure? Jesus is telling us to be certain is to get with him. Spend time with Him. Understand. Get in the Gospel of John. Read it for yourself. Let Him tell you. Let God's Spirit tell you. Let Him give you the spiritual understanding that He's offering to give you so that you can take a step of faith and receive the spiritual life that He's willing to give you. I would love to talk to you about it. I can do that. And I'll just point you right back here and we'll talk through what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus is the one who wants to share that with you. He wants you to turn to Him. And then secondly, if you're a Christian here this morning, how's your spiritual hydration? Are you continuing in Jesus' word? Are you doing life the way God's called you to do it? Which means you're spending time in his word. His Holy Spirit's renewing your mind. You're taking steps of faith where he empowers you to do life, so therefore your life is transformed. And you're obeying God, just like Jesus Christ obeyed. Let's go ahead and stand. We're closing prayer.